Hey, Matthew. Canoe Copia is coming up. Is that this month? It is. We're starting to get all our brochures and things from the sponsors are rolling in. Just got the big box from Paragus Northwoods Company over in Ely. Brought to my mind this experience we had in Ely in May 2021. We were at Listening Point at Sigurd Olson's place and going out to the Listening Point cabin on Burnside Lake. All they had out there, Steffi O'Brien showed us this kind of clunky old aluminum canoe that we didn't necessarily want to paddle or sort of advise not to, essentially. It was sort of part of the historic nature <laughs> right. of the establishment. Look, don't touch yes. type theory. <laughs> right. But we wanted to get out on the lake. Yeah, scenic Burnside, you know, gateway to the wilderness. Yeah, so we stopped into Paragus Northwoods right there in downtown Ely, talked with Eric there and Adam as well, and they got us a canoe right on the spot and some bench shaft wooden paddles, and off we went. You bought a paddle that day, I think, <laughs> didn't right. you? I bought the very paddle that they loaned to me because it was in great shape. And it was, I think, right around when the peanut butter patch you know, incident happened and your paddle also broke on that trip. There was a lot going on and we needed some gear. We went to Paragus and they got us what we needed. It was so easy to do. And it's not just because we knew them through the podcast. I mean, we met a lot of the staff for the first time that day. So they were really welcoming. It was busy. It was the start of the canoe season and uh, they helped us out with everything we needed. So in other words, if you're in Ely or you're planning your trip, check out Paragus Northwoods. Great place in downtown Ely. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experience were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool, it was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars, I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Welcome to episode 85 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm with Joe Fredericks. I am here today with Matthew Baxley. As he prepares to settle in for a new episode. Exactly. It's wintertime. It's a time of reflection. It's a time to think about the past and the future. And sometimes in the quiet moments, memories come up of important people in our lives. Like the Cash Bay Ranger, Janice Matichuk. One of the greatest. There's no one like this human being. Mm -hmm. It's a great opportunity. We, it matters to us, to Joe and I, that we continue to share Janice's stories in her own voice, in the voice that so many of you know, that's familiar to so many of you, either because you stood on Cash Bay itself and learned from her, or if you listened to her voice through the podcast, we're keeping it alive, sharing a little bit more of Janice today. 
Well, the biography about Janice came out in late 2020, November 2020, and it's called Her Island. Uh, wrote the book, and we were inspired by the whole theme of the book when we were up at the Cash Bay Ranger Station making an episode, episode nine of the podcast. Long time ago now. Exactly. We're going to hear some of her stories on the episode today. For the first time ever. Like, unreleased. Yeah, that anybody's ever heard this other than me, basically. I'm really excited to hear that. And before we dive into some of Janice's narrative poetry, we're going to hear from somebody who also is fond of Cash Bay and is also going to tell us about Canucopia. I'm Chloe Macula. I'm the Director of Outdoor Adventures for Rutabaga Paddle Sports. And at Canucopia, I coordinate all the speakers. So it was exciting being new to the organization and having heard of Canucopia but never going before to be able to be involved in this pretty significant way. Exciting to, you know, get to know all the speakers. We have a really big variety of speakers from different paddling backgrounds, some folks who come every year, return every year, who people come to see, as well as new folks, and excited to be involved. I was a guide in the Boundary Waters for a couple of years through Camp Minogen and through Outward Bound up there after I graduated college for a few years. Um, well, one of my favorite places is when you cross over into the Quetico at Cache Bay and uh, go and see the pictographs there. I thought always stands out in my mind as being just a really cool experience, especially guiding teenagers there. Some of them just, I think, is really impactful for them and them getting to see that. Um, and just, you know, a lot of times guiding the very small, like, middle school girls who are like, you want me to put that on my shoulders? And they do, and they're great. And getting to see that sense of accomplishment with them is probably... I don't know. I, you know, it has shaped the way I view the world and how I interact with people. So, yeah, the Boundary Waters is one of my favorite places in the world. So, as you heard from Chloe, she's involved with Canucopia this year, and she has a deep fondness for the Cache Bay Ranger Station and just that whole area at Cache Bay and the pictographs that you and I saw when we were up there too, Matthew. Cool thing about Canucopia is that it is a paddler's expo. And so it makes complete sense that Chloe, a paddler is sharing with us elements of it. And this awesome part about Canucopia is that of course it's a great place to go shop for gear, uh, to go pick up things on sale that you may be needing for that you've always wanted to buy, but there's also tons of booths. One of which is ours, a place to learn about what's happening in the paddling scene all over the country. Uh, and there's tons of presenters, of which we will be uh, also one this year, talking about how to share your trip, how to document your trip in the Boundary Waters. So there's plenty of things to go do, to go see, to go learn, and we hope to see you there. That's right. Uh, so March 10th, it's Friday, that's when Canoe Copia 2023 starts. And Chloe is really involved with the presenters this year. And here's some of the people and themes that she's really excited about. We've got Kevin Callen. We've got Wayne Herodowicz from coming from the West Coast um, will be a good one to have. Steve and Jenny from up in the Boundary Waters at Spirit of the Wilderness, they'll be here. Some new folks. Susan Conrad is a new 
speaker we're very excited to have. She published a book recently about her adventures and really excited to have her there. Um, Gray Beard, Dale Sanders, who holds the world record for the oldest person to paddle the Mississippi, will be there to speak as well. We'll have someone um, presenting on the ancient dugout canoe that was found in Madison recently in Lake Mendota from the Wisconsin Historical Society who was heavily involved in that. Honestly, I'm just excited for a lot of these different things. Look forward to meeting Chloe in person. As we said at the top, this is her first year helping with Darren Bush, who we've heard from usually in the lead up to Canoe Copia each year. And I know he's really excited that Chloe's on board and helping out. So we'll have a lot to share from Canoe Copia. Let's move into some of the contemplation that comes with this next voice. Yes, Matichuk in the studio. My goodness, how about that? Whoop-dee-doo. <laughs> Sound check. So, okay. Let's see here. What day were you born? July 24th, 1954, Atacocan, Ontario, northwestern Ontario, west of Thunder Bay. That's, you were born in Atacocan? Was so. And what kind of a place and circumstances? Came out of my mother's womb, what do you mean? In the, in the... <laughs> hospital, little local hospital. In the 50s, my dad was working on the dredging when they were emptying out, um two big lakes literally sucking every drop out of them to do the iron ore mines and Atacocan in I don't remember the year 1957 nine something like that had the highest birth rate in Canada this theme that's been coming up a lot between you and I Joe is the you know we talk we don't just talk about the boundary waters talk about new country and that includes Quetico and oftentimes further north and for some folks the boundary waters that's all they're interested in but for others there's something more and Janice more than most felt deeply passionate about that something more she did Quetico to her was just this unbelievably pristine magic place and she grew up it's not like Janice came into this later in life. She grew up on the edge of Quetico and still has this deep respect for it through her entire life. It actually only seemed to get more rich and deeper, that connection and appreciation. Let's just hear some of her thoughts about the wilderness where she lived, worked, and spent so many years of her life. We've got this protected chunk of land. Quetico's the most highly protected park in the province of Ontario out of about 320-some provincial parks. More than Woodland Caribou? Oh yeah, God yeah. No, we have the highest level of protection in Ontario. It's classed as wilderness. I guess the high, and I don't know, I'm speaking out of turn here, there, I don't know if there's tracts of lands where thou shalt not touch. I don't know. I doubt it. Because we managed to put our fingerprint on everything. So we're highly protected. Thus our strict quota system. Thus the cost per night, per person is huge compared to other places. And that's the cost of protection a little bit, I think. I'm not really a fussy about our level of... Uh, user fees uh, 
I've got that's a whole other issue, but there's a little bit price of cost of protection. Mm-hmm. So either let in far more people like Boundary Waters does and lower the price and then lose the purity and why people come and why every single state from the United States, every single state, including Alaska and Hawaii, come to Quetico mm-hmm. because you don't have anything like that in the United States anymore. And we could screw up our country so we don't have anything else like it. But for me, what drives it home is my campers who are, for me, and 80% about of the park is from the United States, is their deep appreciation and love. And continually, every year, every week, people are saying, oh, I used to do boundary waters, no more, I'm never going back. Or I come here because I'm willing to pay your fee because of how you manage it and how you've protected it. And I get this deep, delicious dip into just primitive, as pure as we can keep it, beauty. So it's probably more the camper's appreciation and when they're vocalizing that to me. And I'm just, and I think, oh my Lord. Like when I told you this morning about the family that came from Seattle, Texas, and Massachusetts, all three corners, right, of your country. And were, well, three nights, of which two had to be spent on hook, but they came that far knowing they were only doing a three day trip. I'm just going, oh my God, what a lot of money, expense, organizing, Mm -hmm. getting everything finessed so they all arrive from different three corners at the same time, drive up there, get outfitted. What a lot of work. And I'm used to going, hey, you want to go camping this weekend? Just throw in the days of the old pup tent and get in the car and boompity-boomp out a gravel road and set up in the bush. Mm-hmm. So it's really opened my eyes to what kind of expense and work and planning people will go to to use Quetico. It's huge. It mm-hmm. is huge. So I consider... Where are we? So I'm looking at your map up there again. Minnesota, Wisconsin. Illinois really hangs pretty much south of Michigan, right? Wisconsin. It's Wisconsin's west, right on Lake Michigan, right? That's Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Is Illinois due south of Wisconsin. Right. Here's Wisconsin. Oh. Here's Illinois. Here's Michigan. It's Indiana. Okay, and Ohio? Yeah, right. Oh, Iowa's to the west then. Okay, so Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, not so much Michigan. Those to me are local. Those are my local people that drive, if they're driving 12 hours about, that's, yeah, yeah, piece of cake. Yeah. But then, like I said, I've had every single state, including Alaska and Hawaii. One of the ways that Janice had to get intimately acquainted with Quetico was through what she called hurt me trips. And those were just full immersion, torture herself as far and fast and long as possible in her short time off between being the ranger. She called them the hurt me trips, and uh, here she is explaining about those. I paddle. Like I had said in one of our previous talks, I had one hurt me trip a summer, mm-hmm. 50 miles in one night, two days solo, because mm-hmm. that's all I could afford to take time off. So I had to really book her. And 
People do the man chain often take five or six days to do it. Well, I did it in one night, two days. Well, what's that campsite? Don't know, saw one. <laughs> but I went to see the lakes and the portages yeah. to give good portage info. And then I had a friend who came up from eastern Ontario, and we did two 75-mile routes in two nights, three days, because I knew he could handle it. Mm-hmm. And we used to both marathon canoe race so we could give her and go. Yeah. So in 65, 75 miles, I saw two campsites. Mm-hmm. And I've got a good sort of photographic memory, because I've not been to these areas in 20 years. Yeah. And I still, still remember. I just, I'm fortunate that I can remember. I think everybody knows at this point that I'm not much of an angler, but you are. Oh, yeah. Lake trout, ice fishing. And Janice had some pretty strong feelings. All of Janice's feelings are strong. (laughs) But around the idea of angling and ethical treatment of all living things, but fish particularly, was something she passionately shared with you. She did. And also just the attitude of anglers and how kind of blinded people could become by catching fish, the obsession around it. She had an issue with that, essentially. Here's Janice talking about anglers in Quetico and fish in Quetico. It's like, how's the fishing? Mm-hmm. Hate that question. Yeah. What kind of fisherman are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. You know, fishing's been pretty good. How's the fishing? What kind of fisherman are you? Oh, so-so. Well, fishing so-so. Mm-hmm. And I say, man, if you suck, fishing's going to suck. Don't yeah. expect miracles. <laughs> so, and then they laugh. And I say, guys, it depends on your skill as a fisherman. Mm-hmm. We're known as a premier fishing spot on in the world. Mm-hmm. We've got really strict rules, barbless, artificial bait. Um, we've got limited uh, pressure on the fishing So it's got to be pretty good. But if you suck, man, fishing's going to suck. Sorry. Do you want to buy a T-shirt instead of a license? (laughs) Uh (laughs) I remember saying this once before. I trust everybody. When I'm doing my office work and the way my flow is, how I process everything, how I ask questions to try and determine their level of experience, um, their level of caring... And then I do the orientation and tell them explicit rules and behaviors, how to best treat the bush. Okay, it's all good. And they're, oh, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. They're all nodding, and I feel good about it. Then I'll get campers on exit, come out, just shake their heads. What is going on? And fish guts all over. and I, Or human waste. And I just, these are all guys I checked in doing this and I'm I'm not angry I'm so disappointed because I trusted you and then you go out there and blatantly are being abusive or disrespectful that really really bothers me fish guts in the camp is bad so okay so this is what I've adopted on my own and then I've asked biologists over the years and I've kind of argued my point and now we kind of do it as park policy with orientation so what i started saying on my own was number one you never ever 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 clean fish at your campsite you stop you're already out in the canoe fishing for the most part stop on another shoreline or rock outcrop reef fillet the fish out there have a bag to bring the fillets to camp with 
and you either leave the guts on the rocks for the birds, which get dealt with lickety split, or what I would most prefer, somebody hold the fish by the mouth just outside the canoe, the other guy's paddling, and then in the middle of the lake, let the fish go. Mm-hmm. And there was a hue and cry, oh my God, we can't do that. I said, guys, where do fish die? They don't crawl up on shore and cross themselves and know mm-hmm. I lay me down to sleep and bury them. No. Yeah. And Boundary Water says, walk down the shore. Who's? They're going to walk 10 steps. Mm-hmm. Then you're supposed to turn 90 degrees from the shoreline, walk 200 feet in the bush. Do you know how far 200 feet is? Mm-hmm. I dare you to measure it from your office. Go into the bush 200 feet. See if you'd walk that far to go dump fish guts. And then do what? Put them in the lake? No. Boundary Waters wants you to drop your fish guts in the bush 200 feet from shore. Mm-hmm. My mind, not going to happen. Fish don't crawl up on shore and do that, and you're still attracting bears. Mm-hmm. And then the big predator birds can't see it through all the foliage. Yeah. So I've been promoting and supporting and asking for s- support for what makes sense to me, and that's what we tell campers now. Don't stand on shore and throw it. You won't throw it far enough, and all the guts are going to fall out and hit you in the face anyway. Mm-hmm. And then the waves wash them back up to the shoreline. Then it taints the water. It's unsightly, and the birds can't get at it. Mm-hmm. Deep six them in the middle of the lake. That's yeah. where fish die. Or put them on the rocky outcrop. Yeah. So the birds and guys will say, well, no, yeah, we do that. I said, where do you clean the fish? That was my first question. Well, we clean them in camp. Okay, think about that. Do you think? There's an odd chance you left any iota of smell. Mm -hmm. Of course you did. Mm -hmm. Fish scales and oil. If you don't want a bear problem and bug problem, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And then then I get campers that come out and tell me about fish guts just laying around a campfire. I just am stunned. And then they came up with the idea easily two decades ago to drop the fee but cut the take limit, your possession limit cut it in half, give you a break on the cost. Mm-hmm. And it's very smart because when you're canoeing, you don't need four walleye per person per day. You just yeah. don't. So you get a break in the cost of the license and your take limit is less. And that's absolutely something I've noticed a huge difference in from 85 when my first day would be every entry was booked and I had, I think, 10 groups a day. First day in, you weren't even in 24 hours, and right at 8 o'clock, they're at your door. They're just lined up. And they drove drove all night, 12 hours from Chicago, bleary-eyed, get to the outfitter, you know, just get to me eventually, which is 10 miles from where they can park. Just drooling. Just drooling to on the toes. Yeah. Drooling to go fishing. And the last 20 years, 15, my first day now is one three groups not Mm -hmm. ten Mm -hmm. so the fishing um perception and pressure has Mm -hmm. really changed hugely declined but i changed and declined only because i think as the regular users keep coming back now they're not so frenzied that they have to kill a bunch of fish and plus i really like you've heard me say i really do a heavy talk about fishing to try and make people learn understand that fish are living, breathing creatures and they hurt and they have mm-hmm. feelings and they get damaged. And um, so as the clients keep coming back and they get older, 
you know, ah, we're not so crazy about catching fish. And even if they, it was just this, I got to catch, it's like winning the lottery. Got to catch all this fish. I've seen the odd time I've been out, a stringer of huge walleye, bloated, floating in the lake. Couldn't be bothered. Too much. What are they going to do with them all? Mm-hmm. But they just have this thing, I got to catch and kill. And then they don't do anything with it. So, yeah, right from the get-go, I've been really strongly worded when I do my talk about fishing for respect for fish. Mm-hmm. And it's changed quite a bit. I used to have one guy come in, buy full limit licenses for kids fish for free in Ontario until they're 18. Mm. They don't get their own limit. They're part of an adult's limit. Mm-hmm. I had one man that bought full limits for his six-year-old grandson. Full limits for everybody. I'm going, you don't need 36 fish. Yeah. Just crazed. He just wanted to kill fish. Wow. And freeze them and bring them No, you can't. Or... How are you going to freeze them in the bush? Yeah, what was his deal? Some... The odd person would bring dry ice, but it's this mentality of catch, kill, take. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Maybe people that pick berries are like that. They've got to get gallons and gallons of berries. I don't know. It's like me and my rocks. I have too many rocks. Yeah. So it's an obsession. But it has changed for the good. Joe, does that speak to you? I feel that I've reached a pretty healthy balance between the obsession because I've been on trips where people were just so focused on fish that I don't see the surroundings. I don't see the pines. I don't see the sunset. It's just all in or nothing else is happening. And that, that aggravates me when I see that either when I become involved in that or I'm with someone who's going down that road. So I try to consciously say, make that distinction and find that balance. I mean, I've witnessed you slip into that sort of neurotic space and uh, place of mind, and then I've seen and I've seen you snap, look around, make some sort of comment like, "Boy, is this a beautiful place?" And I think that's a practice that we all can learn from. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I'm definitely in the pursuit of fish. I will not uh, try to back away from that by any means, but. Try to be present, too, with where I am in the world. And, and when the time we've spent in Quetico, which is quite limited, certainly compared to many of our listeners, I can't imagine having a bad day up there because the fish weren't biting. Speaking of backing down, I think one experience that we all kind of both want to have and never want to have is running into a moose on a portage trail. It's happened to Janice multiple times. She shares those stories in the book. But her son, Leif, told me about one of those experiences that he and his mom, Janice, had really intense. And Janice told the story in the book. But here's Leif's version of it. The only real scary encounter I had, I don't know if my mom's told you the story about running into the moose. Yeah, yeah, she did. Monument Portage. Yeah. She did tell me that. That's definitely intense. Yeah, that was that was an interesting. I the thing that struck me the most about that was how the moose snuck through the bush. Mm-hmm. Like we came out on the portage, the moose walked through the water from our left to right, and then went crashing up in the bush. And we went down a trail to our left, and. Uh, so the moose that had gone up probably a good 
50 feet off of the portage on the right-hand side into the bush. And, you know, you could hear it thrashing around in there. So we went walked down the trail to the left. And that moose somehow snuck from where it was through the bush, crossed the portage, and then down the trail. And we just all of a sudden just heard and felt this immense stomping and turned around and it was already just full bore coming down the trail at us. Jeez. And I don't know if my mom said jump behind a tree or not, or if that was it's probably just instinct to get behind something. Mm-hmm. And I jumped behind this ginormous cedar tree, um, big enough that I couldn't see pretty much anything that was going on except off to my left when the moose finally got right in front of us. Um, I could see my mom was screaming and yelling, and I could see one of her arms waving, and I thought she was being mauled by the moose. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember I just peeked out quick to see what was happening, and she was behind this, like, probably eight-inch in diameter birch tree, just this little nothing of a twig it looked like at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was just waving her arms up and down and yelling, and that was enough to scare the moose. And I remember clear as day, because it's, you know, it's a walking trail that we're on. This wasn't a portage. This was a little take-a-pee trail off to the side. Mm-hmm. And the moose reared up like a horse wow. on its back legs mm-hmm. and sort of spun around to take off. And I just remember seeing its face go by, its nostrils go by, and it's snorting. And it was, you know, like, to me at the time, it was like in a, you know, a scene in a movie, the steam coming off its nostrils. And mm-hmm. I just remember thinking, like, I could put my hand in that nostril right now. It's yeah. enormous. Yeah, wow. I just remember seeing this snorting head go by me, and then it, yeah, took off down the trail and... I think that was probably the most nerve-wracking walk of my life was going back across the portage. Mm-hmm. I was, I think I was 13 then, and every every twig snap that you heard, you just jumped about two feet in the air. That's Janice Matichuk's son, Leaf. He shares part of that story too in the book. You get both perspectives, Janice and Leaf, in the book. The way that my imagination runs with that story is just really exciting and intense and that's what we get every time we wrap up an episode of this podcast joe fredericks is another journey through our favorite places you know these are sort of like the janice matichuk uh the lost files of matichuk type because nobody as i said at the top has heard this audio you've read it if you read her island the book about janice matichuk but to hear those stories and there's Plenty more. I mean, hours and hours more. And a lot of uh, stories, if you recall, well, don't want to give away the ending of the book, but there's some really powerful stories. Indeed. And I hope that you continue to gift Janice to us here on the podcast. Uh, it's just a, a treasure to, to keep her with us in this way. And for all of you listening, we can talk all about this and more at our booth at Canucopia. Actually, you got an oil change, so you're ready to hit the road, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I just got this buzz of a text during the recording of the intros today about uh, make sure you're getting your oil change. Here's your appointment on Friday. <laughs> change the oil, gas up that hybrid vehicle, because we're going to stop climate change and go to Canoe Copia. <laughs> right? <laughs>
<laughs> I just sing when I paddle in Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true We're gonna get through to the other side Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar Fool if I got the chance all around the campfire light all around the campfire light all around all around all around the campfire light 